I think it's pretty safe to say that this has been a difficult year. It's been filled with isolation, loneliness, uh, death, missed opportunities, lost hopes. There's been chaos, anger, division, outrage, sadness, anxiety, depression. Some people uh, missed out on goodbyes. There's been derailed expectations and plans, missed milestones, and just about every other struggle upon struggle that you can come up with. And, I, you know, for some people, there's, you know, this, there's been some blessings in this year that they didn't see coming. I've heard people tell me that um, some people said that working from home was like the best thing that could have happened for their relationship with their family. I'm sure some other people feel the opposite about that. Um, and, you know, personally, we've been pretty fortunate, pretty blessed. There's not a lot of, you know, bad that's directly happened to our family for me, my wife, and kids. But I've seen a lot of people go through a lot of stuff and endure a lot of stuff. Um, I've had three people in my immediate family end up with COVID. My mom, my dad, and my brother, two kind of varying severities. My mom had it really bad. Um, my dad, not so bad. My brother just kind of feels like he's got a head cold, uh, except he can't smell, uh, which is pretty common. Um, my, my nephew graduated high school but didn't get a graduation, didn't get the graduation party, and man, my sister, she throws parties for like all kinds of stuff, everything. So it was kind of a big deal. They were looking forward to it. And it was one of those things where the parties happen. No, it's not. You know what I think it is? Nope, it's not again. Yeah, graduation's on. Nope, just kidding. It's not. And like it got canceled kind of like the week before. And so he missed out on that. Um, and not to count the fact that my niece uh, has been in pretty, a pretty long struggle trying to figure out um, that she has some kind of they don't know what kind yet, some sort of autoimmune disease. Um, and so, they, you know, that's kind of scary with all this stuff going around when your immune system is compromised and things like that. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, and sister-in-law, they got engaged last year and started planning a wedding and a big honeymoon and then had to, like, hit the brakes on all of that and kind of replan their wedding and scale everything back and not go on the honeymoon that they'd saved for and planned for, the one that they dreamed about, you know. And... And um, then I just found out a few days ago, a lady from my home church in Fairfield, a lady I've known for 20-plus years, she passed away from COVID and other complications the other night. And it's like that family lost their mom, their grandma, right before Christmas. And, it, I mean, that's so tragic. And, you know, then there's ways that our church has been drastically changed. You know, we say all the time, the church isn't a building, it's the people. Well, when the people are all spread out and separated and can't talk to each other and hug and, and eat meals together, that really makes it hard to, to do and be the church. It can become really difficult. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in our church family who need the community, who need the care of other people. And they can't get it right now. And if you're watching and you're one of those people and you've been online for almost a year, we know you're there and we feel for you and, and, and we care about you and, and, and don't feel like you're completely alone because we are praying for you. And, you know, then there's the fact that helping people grow in their faith is a struggle in this season. It's like a puzzle that changes the picture every time you try to get a piece that fits and trying to figure that out has been difficult. But I think the hardest part is knowing that there's probably people that were in our church when this started that won't be in our church when this is over. Whether they've moved on to other churches, whether they didn't like something that we've done in the middle meantime, or, or whether they just drifted away because they didn't have that active ability to come and, and have the physical presence of church. Whatever it is, I know that there's certain people that have drifted away. 
And a lot of us have cried our tears. I know I have. And there's been those moments where we felt lost, didn't know which way to turn, and we felt hopeless as each month felt like three. Um, you know, it blows my mind. We think back to, like, different eras of quarantine now. It's like, do you remember the Tiger King portion of, yeah, it's like, boy, that, that was so, like, it was a few months ago, but it feels like forever, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, uh, everybody was talking about Tiger King for a while there. Uh, it came in the news this week, if you saw some of that stuff, was still, still popping up, right? But if ever, I mean, it just feels like forever since this whole thing started. And you know, at the beginning of this, I tried to be positive, and I'll even say that I felt pretty positive about, you know, I kind of enjoyed the change of pace uh, a little bit. You know, I kind of, it's a challenge, you know, ooh, church, this will shake us up a little bit. It should be kind of exciting. It'll last a couple months and probably go back to normal, right? And it, it really suited my personality. I'm kind of an introvert, which means I... I like people, I'm good to be around people, but if I'm not around people, it doesn't like, I don't get lonely very easily. And then I really like technology and figuring out new stuff that way. So going to online church was really kind of, dare I say it, a little fun for me early on. But the fun was short-lived because you start seeing all the costs pile up that everyone is, is having to pay as they go through all of this. And, you know, another thing I've been thinking is, I know a lot of people don't like it when it gets dark early. You know, you go out at like 3 o'clock, and you're like, oh, the sun's going down already. But, but I think it feels so appropriate. Like, it's dark half the day. It, it's a dark kind of feeling here. And so much so that sometimes I'll walk outside when the sun's shining and find it irritating. It's like, don't you, sun, don't you shine, sun. Like, don't you act like everything's normal. This isn't cheery. You be quiet, birds. I don't want to hear your songs. This isn't that kind of year. And it's just, I just find it out of place sometimes. And so I think, given the year we've had, if there's any time that we've needed the hope, the message of Christmas, it's this year. I don't think we've ever needed to hear it more uh, because the message of Christmas is a message of hope in darkness. And it's always been a message of hope in dark times. The message of Christmas is that God would come into our world as Jesus, that Jesus would somehow be both fully God and fully human, and, and that he would come into our broken existence, submit himself to the world of pain and heartache and struggle, and, and that he would live a perfect life, an absolutely perfect life, the kind of life that every one of us has failed to live. And he would then offer his perfect self as a sacrifice for our sins, the sins of the entire human race, and that he would take the punishment for sin that you and I deserved. And then he would... You know, as he took that punishment, though, he would wipe clean our record of wrongs. He would wipe clean our slate of sin so that we could experience the forgiveness and the freedom of God. And then a few days after he died, he would rise from the dead, showing that God had defeated death and its hold on us and sin's hold on us. And he would give us hope that one day, like Jesus, we could be resurrected as well and enjoy an eternal life beyond this one. So Jesus came into a broken world to give hope that it could be healed, that we could be healed, that, that the pains that we endure aren't going to last forever, that this in many ways is temporary. And so the gospel message has always been one of hope. Even before Jesus was born, God was dropping hope that one day the Savior's going to come. One day I'm going to send this person to redeem and remade all that is gone wrong. And the way God dropped these moments and these messages of hope 
were, uh, at least through the Old Testament years, centuries before Jesus ever was born, was through prophets. At various points in, in ancient Israel's history, God would allow a prophet to come, and God would give them um, often a, a little tiny message of Jesus that kind of popped up in the midst of their much larger message, and, and these little hints that a Savior was coming. And then, the, and then God would kind of give hints of the type of Savior that Jesus came to be. And what I find so interesting is if you look at these messages of hope that God dropped in uh, well before Jesus was ever born, oftentimes he drops those prophecies, those messages, in some of Israel's darkest, most painful seasons. And if you've ever heard, probably the most famous Old Testament prophet is a guy named Isaiah. A lot of what was happening around Isaiah at the time, I mean, it was a mess. They were dealing with Wars and being defeated and fear from bigger, badder countries wanting to destroy them. They were uh, getting destroyed. They're, they they basically lost their identity, lost their their ability or their independence as a nation. A lot of people were taken into slavery. It was just an incredibly dark time. And yet, into that time, God chose to shine little bits of light to show them that yes, you're in a very dark tunnel, but there is light at the end. And one of the most famous prophecies we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where God spoke this through Isaiah. I'm dead. You have to help me. Um, He said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Meaning that he's going to be a ruler. He's going to be like, because he was going to bear that weight of leadership, that mantle of responsibility. That's what it means when it says, the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now these um, prophecies, like I said, came hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. And we learned that there would be uh, that God wasn't going to come like storming out of heaven as some big conquering force, but that He was going to show up in the as a little baby, a son born just the way we are all born, and that um, He would have these names. Now, a lot of times in the Old Testament, we get these says He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, things like that. Um, but these weren't predictions of saying what His name would be, because if they were, they'd all be wrong. His name was Jesus, not Emmanuel. That he, nobody called him that we know of, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, but these were more of like hints to describe the kind of Savior that he was going to be. Um, the way names worked in uh, ancient Jewish culture was you named a person in the effort to try to describe who they were, to kind of describe the kind of person that they would be. Um, for instance, when God renamed Abram and gave him the name Abraham, Abraham meant father of many. And Abraham would go on to be the kind of the the root of the family tree of the Jewish people. And so the names were meant to kind of distill down the essence of a person. And so these four names that were given for Jesus were to describe the kind of Savior, the kind of ruler, the kind of Messiah that he would be. And so for the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're just going to take one of these names a week and kind of just look at it and, and discover why each of these speaks hope into our dark time, into any dark time. And so for the rest of our time today, we're going to talk about wonderful counselor, how he is our wonderful counselor. This literally means that he, it literally uh, it translates to he is a wonder of a counselor, meaning that his, he, he gives such good direction that it kind of blows our minds at how wise God is. Now when I hear the word counselor, 
I tend to think like therapist. That's kind of the first thing that pops into my head. Or I think of school guidance counselor, just somebody who gives advice. Um, But the picture being painted here is that he would be a ruler, a wise leader who always points us and leads us in the right direction, who always points us and keeps our eyes and our attention on what we need most. And I think that's incredibly helpful, especially in this season, to have a, a Savior who helps us be moving in the right direction and be focused on what we need to be focused on. Because as just kind of a people, humans, we tend to have really lousy perspective. We tend to kind of think that what's happening right in front of us is the whole world. And we get a little bit better at this as we get older, right? Because, I mean, when you're in like junior high and high school and like someone in school makes fun of you, in the whole grand scheme of life, that's not a big deal. But when your perspective is, this is everything. I mean, you go home, oh, they made fun of me at school today. At my high school, um, this was gone by the time I showed up, but there used to be these bushes in the front. And that was kind of like the thing that you did when you wanted to harass somebody. You'd pick them up and throw them in the bushes. And um, they, they removed them bushes before I got to high school, so I never got thrown in the bushes, luckily. But my brother did. And uh, I remember when he told my mom that, by the way, it was like, couple years ago, she was like, I didn't know you ever got thrown in the bushes. Oh, that breaks my heart. He's like, I'm 40. It's fine. I'm over it, you know. And, uh, but yeah, that, but, but there's these, these things, right, that just seem so huge. And that's because our perspective is usually on what's right in front of us. We can't see past the things that are huge and scary. We can't see past these moments that are just right in our line of sight. And so we tend to have kind of a very earthly way of looking at things. And again, that's bad because when we have problems and all we're looking at is earthly things, the earthly perspective, what is right in front of me in my life, that, that gets super scary because there's a lot of stuff this world's going to toss my way that's going to be bigger than me and it's going to overwhelm me. And I, if I'm not looking at a godly perspective and I'm not thinking about the God that's built this giant plan for my life and a giant plan for all of humanity that we might know him and have salvation and ultimately move on to the next life. But if I'm just looking at this problem in front of me, I'm going to get scared. I'm going to be shaken in my boots and I'm going to get overwhelmed and I'm going to feel hopeless. And so what we often do though is when we have those problems and we get stuck with this perspective, an earthly perspective, we look for earthly solutions. Because, oh no, there's this problem, so I got something around here should be able to fix this and make my life better. So if somebody gets sick, oh, i gotta got to get to the doctor, and the doctor will fix it. The doc, my hope will be in the doctor, the nurses, the hospital, whoever, they can take care of it. Um, if you're lonely, maybe, you can think, oh, once I meet somebody, and then maybe we can fall in love, and that'll fix everything. And then all my problems will go away, and I'll have self-worth. And if I can just meet this person, then we'll have kids, and I'll have the life that I've always pictured for myself. Um, maybe it's when I get a better job, then I can you know, be happy every day and not dread work. And once I find this right job, then I'll have more money, and then I'll have a nicer house and a nicer car, and then everything will fit. And so we tend to look at our earthly problems and look for earthly solutions and hope that that fixes everything. But all that does is lead to more disappointment and more hopelessness because ultimately everything in this world has its limits, and everything will ultimately lead to us feeling disappointed, whatever it might be. And so we put hope in things that are going to disappoint. And so then when they disappoint us, we act shocked. Oh no, I didn't know political candidates ever had moral failures. 
I didn't, I voted for them and I thought they were the best thing ever and now, oh no, I didn't know people I voted for could lose elections. Oh no. You know, we, and we have these hopes and we get disappointed so often because we have this small earthly perspective. And it's a trap that unfortunately way, way, way too many of us fall into. Especially those of us who are Christians because as I just kind of hinted, we're supposed to have a heavenly perspective. We're not supposed to have all of our hope, all of our, our you know, desire for joy and happiness to be planted on our few short years on this earth. Our hope should be in the fact that we have salvation through Jesus and we can one day be free from this broken existence and live in perfection with him. Our perspective is meant to be heavenward, but yet so much of our life draws us back down to our small little problems. And we, it becomes very, very difficult for us to get out of that, just because our world is just always throwing new things at us. And I think part of it goes to the fact that we kind of are short-term people. Thinking in a huge grand life scale, that, doesn't, that just doesn't work in our society. We're right now people. If I want to get food, I get my car, go get food. I don't have to go like hunting. I don't have to go kill an animal. I don't have to hang it up and skin it and do any of that stuff. I, if that, by the way, if we ever like instantaneously return to that type of lifestyle, I will be the first one to die. I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never fired a gun. I probably, I'd, you know, I'd, it's it. I'd be dead. I'd have to hopefully find someone to take care of my family better than I could. I'd be dead. Um, so I don't have to do that stuff. If I want to go get something nice, if I want to go car shopping, we can go car shopping. If I, wanna, if I decide, oh, you know what, I want a nicer TV, which I have been begging Abby, can, hey, I don't, begging is not the right word. Um, that sounds a little too desperate. I've more like been hinting uh, casually. Hey, look at this TV, Black Friday sale. Look at that. Isn't that pretty cool? She's like, why do we need another TV? This one works fine. I know it works fine. You know, but if, I, but if we want, like, like there's so much that I can go out and just get right now. Like things that even when I was a kid, like getting a TV was this huge ordeal because a lot of times they were a cabinet. And they were made of wood, and they weighed a bajillion pounds, right? It was a big deal to even get some things like that. And yet now, everything we want, we can almost have it instantaneously. And that's just trained us to think short-term, especially with our problems. We want everything to be fixed right now, taken care of right now. And that's just not the way life works. And that's not the way that problems get fixed. And some problems, as we all know, don't get fixed, uh, you know, when I, uh, before I came to Loami, I preached at a little, little church, uh, about 30 people. The average age was around 70. It would have been older, but there was one family that had a daughter in high school that really skewed our numbers a lot uh, out of the 80s. So it was probably about 70. Um, but because of the older age of the population, um, I did a lot of funerals in my three short years there. And then I've come to Loami and I've done lots of funerals here. I've sat with people in hospital beds. I've talked to people who were in hospice knowing that their days were numbered. And I'll tell you something I've seen far too many times, not every time by any means, but something I feel like it's too many times because the majority of the people I go see are Christians, people who grew up in church, spent their lives in church who would call themselves Christians. Far too often, I saw people who, as they lived through their years, and what years do, if you don't know, years take from you. The older you get, the more the years take from you. They take your health, they take your independence, it take, <coughs> excuse me, takes your vitality, takes friends, it takes family. The longer you live, the more the years of this life will take from you. And they would 
be so distraught because as this life took more things, it was taking the things that they had hope in because they put their hope here. Their hope was in living a long life with their family, and that disappeared. Or their, their hope was in having a healthy life and living to the, a ripe old age, and, and, and that was taken away. Or whatever the things were, you would see them just to be distraught, and they would live their final days and years in just utter despair because they felt like they had no hope. Because their perspective, they lost their sight of the grand promise that we all have in Jesus. And they just started looking at what this life could give them. And again, the life, life can give you a lot of blessings and joys. But that does not change the fact that typically the older you get, the more life tends to take from you. And, and you know, I think that's such a common trap for us. Because, I mean, let's be honest. How many of us don't kind of all think in the back of our minds... I'm probably going to live until I'm like 90, maybe 100, and die peacefully in my sleep. We all kind of think that that's our destiny, and that's not how it's going to go down for a lot of us. And, uh, you know, I think of my uncle, my my mom's uncle, excuse me, my great uncle Ray. Um, Towards the end of his life, he had a pretty bad stroke, and it paralyzed him on one side of his body. And he got to this point where he was so angry that he said, "I, I don't believe in God anymore. And this was a man who like, grew up, devout, church-going man, in there every time the doors were open. Lived his whole life um, believing and having his faith in Christ. And, the, and, and he spent this time saying, I don't believe in God anymore because life has been too painful. And if, if God really loved me, he would have spared me all of this pain. It's just too much. I don't believe in God anymore. Now, to let you in on a little secret, I don't think he stopped believing in God. I think he was just really, really mad at the way God had allowed his life to play out. Um, and it was, started to reveal that again, he put his hope in this life. And everything that he'd put his hope in slowly disappointed him. His health didn't last. His, he'd, he'd buried his wife. He, you know, he'd said goodbye to siblings, his parents. I mean, he, he, all these things that he kind of rested and found joy in, those things were slowly stripped from him by the time of his life. And eventually, hopefully, as time went on, um, as he got over the fact that, oh, yes, all these things, maybe that indicates that I'd put my hope in the wrong stuff. And he stopped being angry at God for what was taken from him. And he once again was able to praise God for the promise that he was still waiting to enjoy and, and um, kind of renounced his temporary atheism in, in his last years. Um, but it, it's amazing how we do that, how we put our hope in lesser things. And yet as Christians... Our wonderful counselor, our, our savior is, is constantly calling us to point our eyes beyond this life, to put our eyes beyond what this life can offer, beyond what the, the, the temporary blessings, the temporary pains, and to keep our eyes focused where he is, which is in the next life waiting for us. He wants us to look beyond all the brokenness, beyond all the pain, because it's easy to get lost in that stuff. He wants us to look beyond the temporary pleasures and fun that this life can give us because it is all temporary. And Jesus reminds us that this life is not all there is. In fact, he came into, I think that's why these prophecies were often spoken in such dark times, to say this isn't how life is forever. This is a small sliver, and there is something better on the horizon, that God is working better promises for us. And we are creatures, unfortunately, though, of the now, and we get stuck thinking, oh, it's so dark, oh, 2020 is so long, we're never going to get over it, it's stolen so much from us, are we ever going to get past it? And the answer has always been, obviously, this is a temporary thing. 
The, the blessings that some people got from this year are temporary. The pains that we have gotten from this year are temporary. And our eyes must be on what is ahead. We cannot let this year steal our hope that we are supposed to have in Christ. In fact, the fact that... Uh, in fact, the fact, anyway, uh, but the fact that, that it's temporary was, I mean, it's just reiterated over and over again in the New Testament. One such place is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul is talking about enduring pain and suffering, and he says this. He says, so we do not lose heart. Well, how do we do that, Paul? How do we not lose heart? Everything's bad. It's terrible. We're suffering. It's horrible. So we do not lose heart. He says, though the outer self is wasting away, though this life is kind of beating us up and taking things from us, um, though the outer self is wasting away, and maybe even years are taking away things from us, he says, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Because when we keep our eyes on Christ, our hope is not shattered. Our joy is not limited to what this life deals us day to day. No, we can keep our eyes focused on the promise so that when pain comes this way, we can weather it and we become stronger for it. He says, for this light and momentary affliction, which, by the way, the, that's what he's, he's referring to, all the worst suffering you could ever go through, go through. He says, that light and momentary stuff that you're suffering from, the deepest anguishes of your heart, it's almost, it almost feels a little bit insulting. It's like, how dare you call it light and momentary? He says, but this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, meaning that when we experience the joy of, of eternity. The, the mountaintop joy of eternity is going to be so high that the valleys we experience on this earth that felt so deep are going to seem like just little tiny dips, little tiny potholes that we experienced on the way. He says they're going to seem small. So by all, so God, those, those small things prepare for us glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, fleeting, passing by, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So our hope in this season comes when we lift our eyes to heaven. We keep our eyes on an internal scale, and we cannot allow the pain of this life to drain us of the amazing hope that we have in Jesus. And if this year has left you feeling hopeless or angry or sad or maybe that God betrayed you by taking away some things that you thought that you had coming to you, some milestones that you expected. And just I think we've all felt those things at some point. But when we feel that way, it's often an indication that we've put our hope in the wrong place. We've put our hope in fun things here, good moments here, you know, life being fixed here. And we've forgotten that, no, we're not meant for here. We're meant for eternity. We're meant for a life beyond this pain, and that's why Jesus came, so that we would not have to suffer for our sins, and that we could have freedom beyond this tiny life. And so Jesus, when we keep our hope and our eyes on him, he enables us to stand strong and to find the joy even in the moments of darkness. And so if you're a Christian, take heart. If you're a Christian, be encouraged. Your Savior came into the world to save you for the next. You know, we often talk about, he saves me from my sins. That's true. But he came not just to save you from something, but to save you to something. He came to get us to eternity, the real life, the full life that he planned for us. And one day we will enjoy that life with him. And it'll be so good that it makes our worst days feel like a little inconvenience. Like uh, somebody cutting in line at you, in front of you at the store while they have their cart full of 40 rolls of toilet paper. You think, mm, those people. 
That's a different sermon for a different day. But if you're a Christian, don't let your hope be taken from you. And if you're not a Christian, there's hope for you. The salvation of Jesus is ready. It is waiting for you. This eternal life that he offers you is available today. You can have your past and your sins completely forgiven. You can begin a new journey with Jesus that will lead you beyond anything you'd ever imagined in this life. And if you're here and you'd like to talk about that, new life that's available to you, come talk to me. If you're watching online, uh, I, I would encourage you to text hello to, uh, let me see the number is 217-694-6027, so that, and, and fill out that connect card, and then just text that same number that you'd like to know more about Christ, or that you're ready to give your life to him, or wherever you kind of are in that journey. I would love nothing more than to talk with you about that. But we can't get stuck in the hopelessness that so many are feeling. We can't get overwhelmed and defeated by this life. We have got to let our wonderful counselor, our beautiful savior whose name is Jesus, lead us to something so much better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the message we have in Jesus. We are so thankful for the, the hope beyond this life, because this life lets us down a lot. This life is hard. This life, um, you know, at, at times all of us, you know, have gone through different moments of suffering, and what has made this year so unique is it has lined up so much of our suffering and made it such a, a universal experience that we're all kind of hurting and struggling at the same time. And I just, I just pray that our collective disappointment in what this year has been opens our eyes to the fact that maybe it's because we've put our hope in this life, that we expected this year to be great. We expected this life to be pain-free and pleasant, and that's not what this life is. Those promises are meant for the next life. And I just pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to the, yes, there's joy here, yes, there's you know, fun to be had in this world and blessings here, um, but it's all temporary. Let us see the temporary nature of this world and let us keep our eyes on the, the, the eternal, permanent place that you, you sent your son to die so that we could live in that eternal place with you. And Father, we just ask that as we leave here today that you know, we would do so with a renewed joy and strength, even in the face of all the pain that is out there and as our world is tossing our way, that we would have joy knowing that that. Even if this life does its worst to us, it can't touch the life we have in you. That even if this life makes us feel anguish now, that's but a momentary trouble in comparison to the joy that we have locked away for us, secured away for us through Jesus. So let your, let your spirit constantly be speaking to us and reminding us of that truth so that we don't forget it because we're people that are so short-sighted and it's very easy for us to get caught up in what's happening here and now. But I pray that our eyes would be focused upward because you are our, our amazing God and you sent Jesus to be our wonderful counselor to draw our eyes back to heaven and to keep our eyes on heaven because he didn't just come to set up an earthly kingdom but a heavenly kingdom. And so we thank you for that, that, that what you've established through Christ cannot be destroyed, cannot be interrupted, and cannot be taken from us even by the absolute worst this world has to offer. You've defeated it all, and for that we are eternally grateful. And it's in Jesus' amazingly beautiful name that we pray. Amen.